just past 7 o'clock on a Monday night, and it's going to be a good one. It's time for Ira on Sports, 95.9 True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo, and Ira, what do you know? In the blink of an eye, there was only four. But we got to see four great games yesterday leading up to it. Yeah, I mean, what a weekend. I mean, every one of the games was exciting. Uh, great weekend of NFL action. Uh, just perfect. And I'm so excited for next weekend, too, because you got the four teams that... I consider the four best teams left playing. So mm-hmm. that's what, but what was just very, very exciting. I, I can't be the only one who's like a little depressed that Saturday football's over. <laughs> you know, you get used to it on that short, uh, short couple of weeks. Then like next Saturday around three o'clock, I'm like, man, what am I doing? Um, got a great show on tap for you tonight. Uh, first and foremost, we're going to get to Hubert Horcat's going to join us in a little bit. Tell us about him. Uh, Hubert just won. We taped the interview right after the Delray Beach Open. Very he cool. won the, the ten- tennis, the Delray Beach Open. It was earlier this year because the Australian Open. So I got a chance to watch two two days of that right after the National Championship came on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday <laughs> was at Delray and uh, he won he beat uh, Sebastian Corda for the United States a great young American and then right after it was over an hour later he came, called into the station and we had a short little talk so we'll air that at the end of the of the show. Yeah, it's going to be uh, interesting stuff. Hubert Horcats joining us on Iron Sports and also going to have Rodney Orr from Tider Insider come by. Yeah, of course I was at the National Championship game on Monday I wrote a, an article about uh, the the tide, the greatness of the Alabama mm-hmm. Crimson Tide, and uh, he's running it in his The Tider Insider. It's been raining some papers up in the north, and, and you can see my website on Twitter and Facebook, Iron Sports, if you want to pull up and see it, and, uh, and Instagram. But just the idea of what this Crimson Tide team was and how great it was, and just really, I was there Monday night. We talked about going to that game, and we'll talk about it a little later, but I just love being at it, uh, witnessing the National Championship game in Miami Gardens. And that's Rodney Orr of Tider Insider is going to join Join us to talk all about it coming up on Iron Sports. Iron, before we get into the meat of the show today, is Martin Luther King Day. Yes, I mean, certainly we want to honor Martin Luther King. Uh, Martin Luther King was very involved in sports. I mean, he really was a friend of, of um, Muhammad Ali to Juan Carlos, the people in Mexico City, who the, the track stars, uh, and, and, and from Jim Brown and a lot of other great uh, African-American athletes. And so he's certainly on this day, we want to honor him and, and the, what he did for social justice. So let's get into the NFL first. I we absolutely have to. Um, Tampa Bay and the Saints. And I, I was pretty confident in all my selections for this week. And I just in my head was thinking, how could the Saints possibly lose? They've beaten them twice. They beat them 38-3 to this year. Tom Brady did what Tom Brady does. Drew Brees didn't look like Drew Brees. And what do you know? Tom Brady is a one game away from going to the Super Bowl again. And I think he will be going to the Super Bowl. You, I, you I, I've, I've been on the Tom Brady bandwagon from day one. And I just I saw this game played out really how I thought it would would play out. Uh, at night, I was just one thing we didn't mention last week's show. 1999, Brady beat Brees 38 to 12 when Michigan beat Purdue. So it's amazing that 22 <laughs> years later they're playing and considering that they're one and two in passing yards, one and two in touchdowns. Brees was actually five and two over uh, Brady in terms of overall wins. But uh, it was one of this is a bad loss for Breeze. It looks like he's going to retire after this game. It's now three years in a row he's lost at home uh, with a chance to advance in the playoffs. And uh, it was like one of those games where I think no Taysom Hill for the Saints, which I was a little surprised. And I think that it hurt them a little bit. You see Taysom Hill, the quarterback, that guy's quarterback, everything else on the, on the field. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but the Bucs got De- Devin White back. And White was their linebacker. Oh, made so many big plays in that game. And, uh, but it was like one of those things where I think the key to the game was that Tom Brady took over the offense. Tom Brady started calling the plays. Tom Brady ran the ball. And instead of having the last game they played, it was a 38-5 to pass to run. This week it was 33 
passes, 35 runs. It was sort of like the way that Tom Brady, we saw him play with New England, uh, the running, the passing, the short passes, the passes to Gronk. Don't just throw long balls down the field the whole time. This was a Tom Brady game plan, and he executed perfectly. He absolutely did. And, yeah, you got to see Tom Brady like, on spectacle. The guy, not, I mean, we know that he doesn't seem to age, but the way he played yesterday, there's no reason he can't play three more years. I mean, he, he was so sharp. He's still got the arm strength. He just amazes me. So let's uh, let's talk about this game, how it happened. And, like I said, I, I really wasn't expecting this upset. Yeah, it was – the first, you know, the first problem with the, the Bucks was they gave up two big punt returns. I mean, they punted twice, and Harris for, for the Saints returned, and mm-hmm. one time for a touchdown was called back a penalty. The other time he set the, the Saints up for a field goal, and in the first quarter, they, they sacked Brady. It was the first and only sack of the game. I mean, after that, they really couldn't get to him, and then the Bucks put this 15-play drive together. Uh, it was a fourth and one. How about this? This is what some of these teams do. You complain about the Steelers going on fourth and one. How about in the first quarter, you're on your own 34. Brady does a quarterback sneak on it for fourth and one. Mm-hmm. I mean, you see Andy Reid doing it with, with the Chiefs and uh, Vox, but of course the Steelers didn't do it. But uh, um, it, they got that, that made it a field goal. But again, instead of the Saints, they had two, those two field goals. That could have been 14 nothing. They didn't jump on them, and being up only 6 nothing made it 6-3, sort of made it uh, made it a situation that, that the, the Bucks were able to hang in there. And then when Breeze threw that second quarter, that in interception to Sean Murphy Bunning, uh, they returned it all the way down to three. That was the mistake, the killer mistake. And then Brady, again, problem with with the Bucks have been on their third down conversions, but when you get the ball on the three and the ten starting in the opponent's territory, you, know, you throw it to Mike Evans for a touchdown. And really, the, the high part for the for the Saints was that flea flicker at the in the middle of the end of, really, the second quarter, when they had Kamara, Thomas, with Jameis Winston in the game. <laughs> I was so confused to what was going on. That was and and uh, Trayvon Smith was Draco Swift was wide, wide open, and Winston threw it for a touchdown. And that was like, wow. So it's 13 10. You're like, Sean Payton is a genius. He's so great. What a play. And then the, then, uh, the Bucks went three and out. And then I think really what hurts. So they're up 13 10, and the Saints now have this momentum. They're up 13 10. And then they go. They, they, they went three and out really fast. And that gave the Bucks the chance to go down there, uh, and, uh, and make it 13 13 at halftime. I really felt like the Saints could just, the Saints just couldn't run away from the Bucks. And when mm-hmm. the Bucks stayed in there, then it was 13 13. Uh, in the second half, it was like they started out. It, this is really interesting. The second half, they finally in that second half got Kamara running. They had six straight runs. It seemed like the Saints had this game in control and whatever, but then they scored, made it 20 to 13. Amazing. They didn't score the rest of the game. They took their possession. It's just the Saints offense and the Bucks. So the Bucks go three now. So there's seven minutes to go in the third. And you're like, oh my gosh, they're down 20 to 13. They just went three and out. Like this was the Saints chance. But just, the, but then Jared Cook, that terrible fumble, Antoine Winfield. I love Antoine Winfield from Minnesota when he destroyed Penn State with interceptions <laughs> and big plays. They drafted in the second round. He made a great, he made a, he caused a fumble. Derek White picked it up. Uh, it was really like the play of the game because I think if they would have gone down and scored on that, made it uh, a two touchdown game. I don't know. You know, maybe maybe the Bucks don't come back. But then what do the Bucks do right after that turnover? Come right down, Brady to Bray, Jones, and then Brady to Fournette. And that's the key is Fournette was running well. Ronald Jones was running well. Brady wasn't really throwing. I mean, one completion to Evans, one completion to Antonio Brown, a few passes to Godwin. But really what it was was the running to Fournette, uh, just the passes. This is what Brady does. He was, if you're open, he'll throw it to you. If not, you're not going to throw it. It's like, perfect. <laughs> so they go 20 to 20. And then the start of the fourth quarter, um, it was like it, Brady threw that, you know, that great pass to, to Scott, Miss Scotty Miller. And 
and uh, they had another run. They forced a kick to field goal, 23-20. And then the Saints had the ball with 10 minutes to left, and that's another. Breeze threw another interception, Devin White. I mean, just right, a terrible interception right across the field. Uh, Kamara wasn't even looking for it. And then Brady goes down. Kiss, they go down Brady to Gronk for, and then quarterback sneak for the touchdown, make it 30-20. to 20. And then, of course, the Saints threw another interception. The game was over. But uh, I think the key was Fournette carrying the ball, 17 carries, 63 yards. Ronald Jones, 13 carries. Uh, and Breeze was just with the three interceptions. And one of the key stats was Michael Thomas. Now, Michael Thomas <laughs> had the last three years 104 receptions, 125 and 149. And he's considered the best wide receiver. And he's been hurt this year, in and out. But he, he, he didn't catch a ball the entire game. And if you can't get your star wide receiver going, uh, that's what it, just a terrible loss for the Saints. And, and Brady did what he had to do, just take no interceptions, no fumbles, and just that one sack, and uh, that was the, with the four turnovers that uh, New Orleans had. It was just they could overcome it. Where do you think Michael Thomas goes in fantasy next year? <laughs> not where, not as high. Yeah, I mean, it, especially if Drew Brees is not there, which all indications are pointing that he's not. Do you think that there's any chance that Drew says, "I can't go out on on a three interception performance. My team is still good. I got to give this another try." You think he's definitely gone? I don't think he's definitely gone. I think there is a consideration that he might come back for it. I think it was a terrible performance, a terrible game, but. Again, he broke his ribs earlier in the season. I think the reason why he would come back was that he was playing hurt. He clearly had 10 broken ribs. He came back. Most people sit out longer than that. He wasn't 100%. And they're like, say, I want to, I want to play. Now, the other reason to, to, to retire is that the AB, ESPN supposedly offering him $20 million a year yeah. to be in Monday Night Football. That's why this year they didn't really have a booth with Brian Greasy and really you know, Steve Levy. It wasn't really their, the main name booth. And I think that's the point is that he would come back to do that. Uh, for not come back, but to retire in order to become the twenty million dollar year announcer. So there, there's like rumors on the internet today going around that um, he says to Jameis Winston, "It's your team now." I don't know if you saw this. I don't think they have any plans to have Jameis Winston be their quarterback going forward if, if Drew Brees does retire. He's on a one-year deal. You think Jameis Winston's there next year? I, there's a lot of quarterback issues. I don't know. He might have just said it. He felt like that. I'm yeah. not sure what, what – again, I'm not ready to predict anything with the, with the Saints. I think the one thing about the Saints, the one thing that you have to think about, remember, he only made it to one Super Bowl. He won that one Super Bowl over Peyton Manning. I, I was at that game mm-hmm. in Miami. But I think that Bounty Gate really messed them up. The year that uh, Sean Payton had to take a step away from the game for a year uh, – uh, that was weird. It, it, I think it sort of messed up the year that they were in Bounty Gate, the year after, and the two years afterwards. So right in his prime, even though he has all these big numbers, I mean, he just really didn't have the playoff performances. I mean, when you look at his numbers compared to, to Aaron Rodgers, they're similar, but Aaron Rodgers is viewed as a much better quarterback. Now, you know how much I criticize <laughs> Aaron Rodgers, but the point is that one Super Bowl, I, I heard all these debates. Is he a top 10 quarterback? Is he a top 20 quarterback? Um, he's certainly in the top 20. I don't know. If, he's probably right on the cusp of being a top 10 quarterback. I, I think I would agree with that. I think that that's a fair way to put it. So, you just brought up the Green Bay Packers and Aaron Rodgers. Let, let's talk about them. Yeah, I mean, that was the 32-18 win over, over the Rams. Uh, boy, now you're starting to see Jared Goff played well. Not, I think I wouldn't say well. I think he played. He played what he had to do. Didn't make any mistakes. Yeah. Didn't turn the ball over. But you can see that Aaron Donald is the key to this team because he clearly uh, their star defensive lineman was just not himself. Wasn't able to do anything. Was just out there and almost name only. Uh, had a personal foul penalty because he couldn't just get the rush on him. Uh, he had something with his ribs and his stomach. Just did not have that. It was great that he went and gutted it out and tried to play, but that really hurt him. But you know, it was, it was a weird type of game because I thought Green Bay had this game 
sort of, again, we complain, this, Green Bay's done this a couple of times. It's sort of like Tampa Bay, to, I mean, it's, uh, sort of like Kansas City to some extent, and getting these leads and not running away and almost blowing. There was a, there was a moment in the game where you thought, well, maybe they're going to, they're going to, they're going to lose. I mean, the Rams, it was like 10, it was a uh, 10 three uh, that to go up. And then um, Green Bay, Rogers ran, you know, at scrambles, made it 16 three. They missed that. So many missed extra points and mixed, missed field goals. It was crazy. They had, they had the ball three, first three times they had the ball, they scored. So you think, wow, they're ready to go. And the, the Rams defense was just doing terrible. But then it was weird. At that point when it made it 16-3, that's where the Rams started. Akers, Cam Akers started running right through uh, the Green Bay's defense. And I'm looking at this game to Gordon Tampa Bay. Looking what Tampa Bay wants to do with Fournette and Jones. I'm like, boy, if Cam Akers can run with a golf who can't really throw the ball well, what is Tom Brady and the Bucks going to do to this Green Bay defense? Because they drove right down and scored and made it 16-10. And then Green Bay was able to go and, and with a few seconds left, make it 19-10. But it was like that one drive where I'm thinking, boy, you really have this game under control. You're up 16-3. Just stop the Rams. You, you really haven't done anything and let them run down. Uh, but then it just, and, and again, in the second half, they went out, um, they got, Aaron Jones had that 60-yard, at the yeah. beginning of the second half, just, I mean, I almost missed that because I'm like, hey, you're taking a break and you go back and he has a 60-yard run, makes it 25-10, and then Goff is sacked and, and you think, wow, there's nothing. But again, they're up 25-10. Green Bay has the ball. Another chance to like just end the game. Two straight incompletions by Aaron Rodgers. Like it just, they weren't as sharp. And then the Rams had five straight passes. Goff was just looked fantastic throwing it around. Suddenly it's 25 18. And you're like, well, maybe this could be yeah. it. And, and then again, again, a two straight incompletion by Rodgers. And then it's the start of the fourth quarter. They're only down by seven. So they're only down seven. The Rams are only down by seven. Uh, but they go three and out. And then by then it was weird. Green Bay had the ball. And then Dylan for the running back fumbled and Rodgers picked that up. It reminded me of, of when Ben, when Jerome Bettis for the Steelers fumbled the ball, and Ben Rotson and, and they were and the Colts were trying to score a touchdown, and Ben tackled the guy mm-hmm. I think, who was running the ball back, and it was like almost boy. I mean, Be- Dylan and Bettis is a little difference, but but I think Rodgers in terms of picking that ball up was key and uh, and preserving it because the next time he threw the next play was the sixty yard pass to Lazard, making it thirty two eighteen. So that sort of ended the game. But it was like at one point, it, people like when you look at the score, you're like ah, Green Bay blew them out. It wasn't even close, but. It went, what in yardage? They doubled the yards. They doubled the rush, the, the rushing yards. Goff was twenty-one for twenty-seven for one hundred seventy-four yards of touchdown. But Acres eighteen carries, ninety yards for a touchdown. Uh, but I think in 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 retrospect, the game could have been closer. I mean, if the Rams just could have pulled it out, I think if Aaron Donald was with health, was healthier, he would have probably. It, again, it would, it would be nice to see this game come down like to the final possession. No, you're absolutely right. Um, the score doesn't dictate how close the game was. The Packers didn't look like world beaters, and the Rams looked competent enough for, for, for a lot of the game. By the way, it's Iron Sports, True Oldies Channel. Have a great show on tap for you tonight. On the way, we're going to have Hubert Horkatz joining us. He's your champion from the Delray Beach Tennis Invitational. Also, Rodney Orr from Tider Insider. Talk a little bit of Alabama Crimson Tide. What about Aaron Rodgers' postseason uh, history? Well, I just, I'm so excited for Rodgers and Brady. I mean, this really is, everyone is thinking that. I mean, it's what everyone the, wanted. The line is three, and I think everyone's giving this green to Green Bay. Everyone's giving it to Green Bay. And you're going to get a matchup of Brady He's won the MVP three times. Rogers, Rogers this year is going to after he wins is going to win it three times. They've only met three times, which is shocking. And Rogers won uh, 26, 21 in Lambeau in two thousand fourteen. Brady won four years later, and then last this year Brady they won thirty eight ten. It was one of the biggest best wins for Tampa all year. Um, Brady against Rogers is five touchdowns, zero interceptions. 
And I just, I think Aaron Rodgers is overrated in the postseason. I just want to go through this one more time. We've done this a couple times, but in 2010, I was at that Super Bowl. He beat the Steelers. And you're like, that's going to be the first of five, six Super Bowls for Aaron Rodgers. But in 2011, he lost 37-20 to Eli at home. At home at Lambeau. So don't think that Aaron Rodgers is the greatest home quarterback. He lost Eli Manning at home. 2012, he beat Minnesota at home, but then lost to Colin Kaepernick away. Now 45-31, but they still lost the game. Then the next year, he lost to San Francisco again. At and This is at home. They lost to Kaepernick 23-20. So he's had those two losses. Then 2014, he beat Dallas, but then he lost to Russell Wilson with, when he threw two interceptions. 2015, he beat Washington, but then lost to Carson Palmer away. So, I mean, again, this is like, this is Aaron Rodgers in the playoffs when you're supposed to say the great baddest man of all time and bad whatever they all say on first take and then in 2016 he beat the Giants and beat Dallas but then at a chance to go to the Super Bowl he lost to Matt Ryan 44-21 and the game's not even competitive didn't make the playoffs in 17-18 then last year I was at that game when Jimmy Garoppolo beat him in San Francisco and at 37-20 and the game wasn't even close it was over in the first quarter so since 2010, he hasn't been a Super Bowl, and he really hasn't even come close to even winning the championship game to get to the Super Bowl. I'm really put uh, this. This is <laughs> really. I think Tom Brady's going to settle. I, I mean, if there's ever a doubt, I mean, Tom Brady at 43 years old is going to this. This is a tremendous game. It, it's the matchup is so great, but I think that I, I love Tom Brady in this game. I love the Bucks. I think there's a question whether Antonio Brown is hurt with his knee. Uh, what's going on with it, with that? But I really think they're getting their defense. The Tampa's defense. Looks like it's good. I think Bruce Arians has turned the play calling over to Brady. He's using Gronkowski, Cameron Brake, Mike Evans, Scotty Miller, Chris Godwin, Antonio Brown. And then he threw passes to Fournette. Fournette had five catches. Mm. Everything that he likes to do. This is the New England offense now. It's not the Bruce Arians offense. And Tom Brady looks healthy. They're protecting him. Everything is perfect. They're going to they're gonna win this game. And I think it could be by two touchdowns. Like, I really am sold that I think they're going to, you're going to see Tampa Bay run for like almost 150 yards on Green Bay. I think Brady's going to, I think this is, this could be like a 33 to uh, 17 game, something like that. Like, this, I really think Tampa Bay's two touchdowns is going to win this game. I, I'm not going to be surprised how it goes either way. I, it could be, I, I can see either team blowing the other one out. I, I can see it being really close. I think that both teams, have some questions, but also are very complete and can do anything. So I'm just really on the fact. I think it's going to be a great game, and it's a game that I probably wouldn't bet. <laughs> you know, I'm just stay away from it. So one of the games I did want to bet, um, Ira, was Kansas City and Cleveland. And I know a lot of people are like, oh, well, Cleveland, I mean, Kansas City's just going to crush them. Ten points is a lot for an NFL team. These guys are pros, and Cleveland has the ability to drop 35 on any given week. I thought this game would be close. It may not have been so close if Patrick Mahomes didn't go out. But either way, it was a great game, and 22-17 was our final. Yeah, I mean, it was one of those games where in two thousand they met into again another rematch like Breeze and Brady. They met in two thousand sixteen. Oklahoma won sixty six to fifty nine, and Mahomes <laughs> Mahomes threw for seven hundred thirty four yards in one game, seven hundred thirty four yards, and on eighty eight attempts at five touchdowns. And Mayfield had five hundred fifty yards and seven touchdowns in that game. So they're certainly not having. They didn't play defense back then, and that was the Big Twelve <laughs> and the, day, the days where they they weren't playing any defense at all. But in this game. Um, 
like again, you know, boy, these the kickers were just very just awful. I mean, uh, Buckner, they, Mahomes scores early, expect them, so they're going to go up six nothing. But what is they they missed an extra point to start the game, and uh, the the Browns came down. They, they you know at one point it was like ten three, and the Chiefs again they they made that perfect reverse between Hartman, Mahomes, Kelsey. They're up thirteen three as I expected, and then uh, I love what Tyro Matthew, Honey Badger, every big play he was there. Every time you thought Mayfield was going to do something, he made a big tackle. They intercepted everything. He was perfect. But uh, at one point, the Chiefs had run 20 plays and picked up 11 first downs. Uh, and then they, they kicked a field goal, made it 16-3. But again, the this, this score should have seems to be like it should have been like 24-3. I think Browns weren't really doing anything. Chiefs thought it could have blown the game open. But the Browns, this is 3.30 left in the, uh, in the uh, second, qu- second quarter. And they throw it. That's the play with Higgins. So they, the Browns drive down. They throw it to Higgins. He reaches to the end zone, fumbles. We've seen it a million times where the guys fumble through the end zone. And then it comes back to the Chiefs. And everyone's like, they got to change the rule. The rule's terrible. I like the rule. I agree. That's yeah. what I, I mean, people on first take think it's like the worst rule in the world. I'm like, no, the, the end zone, it's like we, we value the end zone as a board. If you, if you commit a holding pow, pow, foul in the end zone, it's a safety. Mm-hmm. If you, if you commit a, if you, if, fumble if, out the back, f- it's fumble, a safety. F- safety too. So the point is, it, you should, I don't want teams just like, I think the, the reason they put this rule in place is they don't want teams just throwing the ball in the end zone and being a scrum yeah. in the end zone and saying, oh, that's the way to do it. And then you, you get a rules like, well, it could advance or not. But I like the rule. Don't put your arm out. The Fancy said, we told him not to do it. We've taught that, and he still did it anyway. And then Sorensen made a great play coming over. Now they said, did he use his helmet to knock the ball? Was it was helmet to helmet? I, I think, again, I don't think that was helmet to helmet. I think it was clean. It was clean. He was just going for the ball and knocked it over. But at that point, I mean, that was definitely, and the Chiefs go down with a minute. It gave the Chiefs a minute time to go and make it 19-3. So at that point, at 19-3, you're like, this game is over with Mahomes with a 19-3. Like, if Mahomes was down 19-3, you would still think they have a good chance to win. But the point is that he was, the first half was 19 for 25 with 233 yards and a touchdown and you're like wow this is over and then Mayfield comes out the second half and throws an interception to Honey Badger just right there it was a first inter- second interception and 369 passes so again but it was like the Chiefs are terrible in the red zone they got first, they got the ball first and 10 in the Cleveland 19 and uh, and then they missed the field goal so here's a chance they should have been up 26 to 3 game totally over and don't again that's like that's something the Chiefs do and that's why I think the Bucks can beat them because I think if you let a team in, someone's going to beat the Bucks. Can't, the Tampa Bay, I mean, Kansas City cannot keep playing like this, just sloppy football. It's just like they didn't care. And then the Browns put a great drive together. They were running Chubb and Hunt, and the Chiefs' defense totally fell apart, and they made it nineteen to ten. And then, um, then they were then the Chiefs were driving, and that's where this is like the end of the third quarter, beginning of the fourth, and it was third and one, and and then they went and Mahone scrambles, and he goes gets knocked on the ground, and and the one thing is. When I saw that, I'm like, don't get up. Like, if you think you have a concussion, a lot of these players just stay down and wait, you know, get mm-hmm. your head. Like like a boxer who gets knocked down. The last thing you want to do is jump right up, you know, collect yourself. But his teammates, like, picked him up when they picked him up, and then he fell down. So clearly, at that point, I knew he wasn't going to come back. They were never going to nah. let someone who stumbled in a game to come back in a game. It was just gonna, a bad look for the NFL right on with everybody watching the game. So I knew that wasn't going to happen. But I thought it was neat. They brought – people were surprised what happened at the end of the game. But how about this? So Chad Henney comes in on a fourth and one, and this is his first play, and then 
he pitches to Williams to get a first down. So they went for it again on the 50-yard line, got that first down, and uh, they got went down and kicked a field goal to make it 22-10. to 10. Now, the good thing, you might remember from Henny, he was at Miami. He was a second-round pick, and he played here for five years and started yeah. a number of games. And I think this is what shows, unlike what the Steelers have with Mason Rudolph, you really have to have an experienced backup to come into these playoff games because you never know what's going to happen. And you don't want to lose a title because you don't have a guy like Chad Henny who can come in and do that. This is That's why the backup quarterback is really, really, really important. And he stepped in, and that was tremendous. But then the Browns had this 18-play drive, eight minutes long, uh, and they only had like one punt in 13 drives in the game. And then it, they converted on three third downs, two fourth downs, and finally Hunt went in for a touchdown, made it 22-17. And you're like, oh my gosh, this is it. Like the Browns, they're yeah. down 22-17, and the, the Chiefs had missed field goals and extra points and, and not scored touchdowns. They're like, boy, you've, this you're finally going to haunt you for the fact that you're finally going to pay for letting the Browns in the game this much. They're only 22-17. But can you believe it? There's like 10 minutes to go in the game. After that, they only had seven plays of 12 yards the rest of the game. That's unbelievable. The, the Browns' offense was was terrible. The rest, and that's one thing about Mayfield. Like we're we're complimenting him. Like what a great game, and he played great, and everything. But boy, this is a chance for them to win. Like this game was theirs. And then Hetty comes down, and uh, th- it was weird. What happened is the Browns made a couple of mistakes. First of all, they called a uh, uh, they called a challenge on a catch that Hill made. You don't want to waste in the and do that in the first half, not yeah. in the second. That's a timeout, so they lost a timeout there. Then Hetty threw an interception, so the Browns get the ball. This is funny. There's like whatever seven eight minutes to go in the game. They get the ball back, um, seven plays, twelve yards, and then on a fourth and one, uh, they 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 wasted another timeout. They wasted so now. They're not only did they lose a timeout on the challenge, then they lost another timeout on like having to call a timeout. It's third and nine. They have to punt the ball. They never get the ball back. I mean, so the Chiefs get the ball with four minutes to go. And uh, Henny Sack was on third and 14. He's sacked. You're like, oh, boy, they're going to have to punt back. Remember, they're only up five. And he runs. He does that great run for 15 yards. And that was and then and then they're they're able to go. And then it's fourth and inches on the 50. And Romo, Tony Romo, the announcer is like, they're going to punt. They're going to punt. They're just trying to draw offside. And the next thing you know is that he threw it to Tyreeky Hill for a first yeah. down and game over. And people People say, well, that looks familiar. Almost the exact same thing against Tampa Bay. I was at the game. 27-24, they were leading. 4-10 left. Third and seven on the Tampa 49. And what does Mahomes do? I mean, actually, with a minute left, Mahomes threw to Hill for eight yards on a, on a third down. And then December 13th in the Miami game. Remember, they were only up 30-24. to 200 minutes, 31 seconds to go. Fourth and one on Miami 40. He passed to Hill for a first down. So they go. This is what they do. They throw to Tyreek Hill on fourth and third downs when it mattered. And then in New Orleans, they were up by three, and they got the, they sealed the game that way. I mean, that's what the Chiefs are great at doing. And they, whether it's Mahomes or Henny, and the fact that they had confidence in the play calling and confidence in Henny to execute it, uh, just tremendous. And and that was, I mean, amazing win. And that's exactly again. I, I think if it's a, if I was a Browns fan, and I'm certainly not a Browns fan because they're so <laughs> mean to the Steelers and they whatever. But I felt like that this game was theirs to have. They had a 22-17, and I just don't think they they finished it. Once again, we see the Chiefs, and we talk about it every week on this show. Just they do enough to win, but they don't do much more, you know. And you got to be worried. I know the Bills, which we'll talk about in just a second, didn't look great. 
but the Bills are still a, a dangerous team, and both teams left in the NFC are. I, if I was a betting man right now, I don't think I'd put my money on the Kansas City Chiefs. Well, I think the question is, I, look, I think that Mahomes, he ran off the field. It wasn't like when he was hit, and he looked like he was running 50 miles an hour when he was running off the field back to the, the tent to see if he's going to feel better. Uh, clearly, now they're saying it's not even concussion, that it was a nerve on his neck, but he was having trouble with his foot. Uh, that was a point, and I, I just think that, I mean, I think they're going to, look, if I, we're going to talk about the Bills game, I, they're going to, I think they're going to beat the Bills. But the fact is that I just, like, I think if he doesn't play next week, boy, that's going to be <laughs> really tough for them to beat the Bills. But I think he'll be healthy to play. But I'm just, we're just waiting for that one game where they just win by 30 points and it just, they don't have, either they start out behind and they come back or they take these leads where they just like hold on and just hold on to win the game. And they had chances to blow this game out and weren't able to do it. They, their last eight games are won by less than 10 points. They haven't blown anybody out in a long time. And they've had opportunities like Atlanta. You know what I mean? It seems like they should have crushed that they haven't. Um, regardless, let's move on to Ravens and Bills. And Ira, I, I thought this one was going to be the game of the week. I was really excited for this game. And it was kind of disappointing what, what we got to see on the field. It was weird. I mean, Justin Turner, uh, someone who's a Steeler fan and seen Justin Turner hit uh, how many big field goals against the Steelers. I mean, he just does not miss. He doesn't miss in cold weather. doesn't miss when it's snowing. doesn't miss anything. He's the best doesn't, kicker in football. There's been times when the, they've snapped the ball and it's been like on the ground the wrong way. You know, it'll kick a 50-yard field goal. To see him miss two field goals, it's just, it's insane. And mm. that was just like real weird. And I, my takeaway from this game was I cannot believe how poor the Bills played. The Bills just, Josh Allen was not sharp this game. Also, their play calling. At one point, they had rushed the ball. I mean, they, they, they just they, they had 20 the first half they had the score was 3-3 at the end of the first half the bills had 22 passes and only five runs five runs for an entire how do you how, how, how do you go in this the bills were one for six on third down and they only gained 136 yards the whole the whole first half and the second half you know they finally got that touchdown make it 10-3 and then the key play of the game is like one every game there's always that one play but on third and 13 Lamar's drive Jackson is driving down and they they, they got that first down but then he threw in the end zone for a pick, and then Terrence Johnson ran back for 101 yards. Nice the, run. <laughs> the, the longest uh, return in the history of the NFL in terms of playoffs. And again, you know, something about he caught the ball in the end zone. I watched the play again. It seemed like the Ravens just just didn't even try to tackle him. I was like, what were they thinking? Like, you can't let someone catch the ball in the end zone and run back 101 yards. And that, instead of being 10-3, make it 10-10, now it's 17-3. And then the Ravens just, again, messed up And when they got the ball back again. And then Lamar was sacked. But the sack in the end zone where he got the concussion was caused because they just kept betting penalties and they were just sloppy with the handoffs and sloppy with the balls. It just, they were not very good. And he was out of the game. And then I guess the one thing was that then the Bills had a, had a nine-play, five-minute drive. I mean, the Bills were just like holding on for dear life. <laughs> Almost like they weren't doing anything on yeah. offense, but they're just like holding on more than the Chiefs were to try to do this. And and Tyrone Huntley, Tyler Huntley, who I saw last year at Utah play, like he's a nice quarterback. He came in and did some good things to try to, but he didn't score. But they had a couple of nice drives down. Remember, RJ three is injured. Trace McSorley is out, so their two backup quarterbacks were injured. Ty, 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 Tyler Huntley was off the practice squad, but uh, the Bills then were able just to, to hang on at the end of the game and just win seventeen three. But it was just that one chance that the uh, the Ravens. 
had. But the, again, the Bills just were just a couple hundred yards the whole game. Uh, they had the ball 10 times, only scored on two of them. Uh, and just a weird type of game. I just, Allen was 23 for 37, 206 yards, but they had 16 carries for 32 yards. If, the, if they don't have Zach Moss for the playoffs, or other running back with Singletary, but you know, carrying the ball 16 times for 32, it's just not going to cut it. And Chiefs, they played on October 19th. The Chiefs won 26 17 in Buffalo. But in that game, uh, the Chiefs won. Uh, the Chiefs had 46 carries for 250 yards. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire was amazing that day. Um, I don't know. I think again. I think if the Chiefs are just going to run the ball, I, I, I was looking for the Bills to keep getting better, better, better. This was aggression on their part. Um, they just didn't look sharp enough, like a team that could beat the Chiefs. Yeah, we've definitely seen ups and downs for Josh Allen. I mean, he's looked like. An, an MVP candidate, and then he's just looked flat and kind of unimpressive other times, and the latter is 100% not going to work against the Chiefs side. Yeah, no, he, he missed. There were there were wide receivers that are open. He missed passes. He wasn't sharp. He looked like Drew Brees did a little bit in the game, and I just said, it's not going to cut it against the Chiefs. I mean, he's going to have to be out of this world, and they're also going to have to get a running game. And Sean McDermott criticized. Well, he starts criticizing his own team. Like it was weird that McDermott was. We totally did it wrong. I didn't like how the game was called. I'm like, you're the head coach. If you think you're passing the ball too much, I mean, you look like the Steelers out there just throwing all the time. <laughs> and I think that was wrong. It just they've got discombobulated, and they're lucky to win the game. And then the question, then you throw it back to the Ravens and the fact that they couldn't do anything on offense either, and that Lamar Jackson and 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 and, and he just he wasn't sharp and he missed passes. It was a weird, it was very windy, but you thought with a game where two teams like they could run the ball they don't need to pass well but he didn't look sharp and Allen didn't look sharp and the kickers were missing field goals so you're right it really wasn't that of all the games it was like one of those wow this is a weird type of game it didn't look like a playoff game it looked like a week two with uh, <laughs> two two non-playoff teams um it, it does stand to be mentioned that you know Bill's Mafia gets this reputation for being crazy jumping on tables and stuff they actually have donated over three hundred thousand dollars to Lamar Jackson's charity just in in the past day so really uh really nice stuff that they're doing and uh, Good, good job for you guys, Bills fans. Congrats uh, for making the AFC Championship game. Iron Sports, True Oldies Channel, Hubert Horcats here, uh, Dennis, Dennis, <laughs> Dennis, Delray Beach, Dennis Open Champion. Going to join us in a little bit. Also, Rodney Orr from Tider Insider. Ira, even with the teams not playing or making big, big noise in the offseason, none maybe more so than Jacksonville bringing in Urban Meyer. Huge. I, I think this was just a major statement. We're going to talk about Alabama and how great a CEO Nick Saban is. I think Urban Meyer, I have no doubt. I mean, the coaches that have probably struggled a little bit in the pros are coaches that I think come in with a scheme and like a Steve Spur where they have to run a certain way. Urban Meyer is known just for just having the right, changing things quick, making them. Uh, he went to Bowling Green and they were one of the worst teams in the country. And in two years, they're eight and three, nine and three. He left there, go to Utah, was there two years. And in their second, in their second year, they were undefeated with with Alex Smith going to the uh, uh, with Alex Smith going the first pick in the draft. Then he jumps to Florida, and in two years, he wins a national championship, and then wins with Tebow, and then wins a national championship again. Um, and just uh, they beat it, just amazing. And then he goes takes has all the he quote had issues in Florida. Of course, at the end, but then he goes to Ohio State, and what happens in Ohio State? His first year, he's twelve and zero, and Ohio State had been terrible the year before. So again, he turns programs around very fast, and it just seems like a situation where 
and they say who's going to be a general manager or not. He w- likes to work with Trevor Lawrence. He's going to get a new quarterback and, and, and a lot of other young players. They have six draft picks in the top. I think it's like 60 or 70. Uh, set perfect situation. He's not going to be the spotlight in New York. Um, I'm really I'm sold that this is going to be a home run. I think Urban Meyer first year is going to be like a 10 and 6 I, 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 or 9 and 7. I, I think this was a great hire for Jacksonville and he's familiar with the area. Just a perfect situation. No, I, I agree. It, it was probably the best job in the offseason and he was the best coach available and they think they'll both work out uh, swimmingly for each other. Uh, I really like the Jets uh, Jets hire of Robert Saleh. Yeah, we saw Saleh in, about San Francisco. We talked about this last week. The the uh, 49ers defense, the offense has been horrendous during the year and somehow the defense which has lost almost the entire team with injuries and he's plugging everyone in and you see him on the sidelines and the enthusiasm and the energy. I think that's what the Jets are looking at. Uh, it really helps Sam Darnell because it looks like they're going to say, look, we're going to run it back again with Darnell unless we're going to have the next topic we talk about. But the point is that they don't, they're probably not going to draft someone they're going to to keep to that and, and be a team based on defense. No, I know. And everything you said hits the nail on the head. He's the complete opposite of Adam Gase. And it's going to, I think he'll be, uh, I think he'll be successful here. Um, Lions are bringing in Dan Campbell. He spent some time with the Dolphins. When's the last time you heard of Dolphins coaches getting poached? But I, I question this move. I, I think Detroit's a disaster. And Bringing in a guy who's not an established head coach to me is a little bit of a head scratcher. Yeah, that was uh, he was a Saints tight end coach. He came from New Orleans. People thought that he was like Sean Payton's heir, heir apparent. So that was one of he was someone people were talking about. Um, Atlanta's going to take Arthur Smith, Tennessee's offensive lineman. This is another one I, I don't know enough about this guy to really make a, an, a judgment here. Um, but Atlanta needs a lot of help, and hopefully he's the guy to do it. I thought it was interesting. I didn't. I realized this weekend. Arthur Smith has been in Tennessee for, I think it's 10 years. He survived like four different coaches who've been there, so it's weird that he stayed there that long. But the interesting, his father is Fred Smith, who was the founder of, of FedEx. Oh. So actually, he is probably worth more money than Arthur Blank, the owner of the Falcons, <laughs> because it was, I thought that was interesting. So then uh, the, uh, the Chargers picked up Brandon Stanley from uh, – Brandon Staley from – uh, from the Rams. And this is another one. I, I don't get bringing in a defensive coach and you've got Justin Herbert. Why not bring in an offensive guy who's known to build quarterbacks? Yeah, I, I, mean, I that, my head. that was a weird one. I mean, certainly the Rams defense is great, but is the defense great because what they're calling or the fact that they have uh, Ramsey and, and Donald on defense? defense <laughs> yeah, in the he can be pretty good with that. So, I mean, we're still waiting to see Philadelphia and Houston, what kind of decisions they make on the coaches. But clearly I like the Jets a lot and I, I just love the Urban Meyer hire is just, again, be able, it's one thing to get, our, it's one thing to want Urban Meyer, but actually convince him to come to your team. Uh, yeah, it's not Khan. the first time people have tried to get yes, Urban Meyer. Yes, and, and that's, that, so I think that was great that the situation was set up. And I think the way they did it, I'm sure he's going to have total input in terms of, of the GM decisions. I mean, I think it'll be run sort of similar to Belichick way where the general manager is going to semi-report to him and those things. And when the coach, people said that when the owner said, Khan said, oh, I think I want to be involved in personnel decisions, I think that makes makes Meyer even stronger because now they're not going to bring a GM. It's going to be like if they because Khan's not going to be sit there and pick everything no. the whole time. It's to me, this this makes it appear that Meyer is going to really just between he and the owner going to make the calls on the on the players. So there's rumors out of the uh, Houston Texans camp now that say Deshaun Watson has thrown his last pass in Houston. Well, he just signed a four-year $178 million extension with 111 in guarantees, the second biggest in in, in history. Um, he was 11-5, and 10-5 this past year, 
four and twelve. But he had a great year. We talked about him before. The fumbles at the end of the game, I think, had terrible that respect. But the point is, in the last year, he blew a twenty-four point lead to Mahomes, or he might have been in the Super Bowl. But they traded Hopkins. But after they traded Hopkins, then he signed the contract. But now he has the Clutch Sports, all the people that work with LeBron James, and there, it's a power play. He's doing an NBA power play like a James Harden style. Like I don't, he has a no trade, but he wants out. Wants to go to a team. And now the question is, everyone's saying that he is going to force his way out. And there's very few teams that could actually make this trade because of his contract is so big. Some thought the Dolphins could be on yeah. the list because he might want to go there. The Jets make the perfect sense. The Jets are the only team with like the cap room to actually take a contract like that in. And they have all the draft choices to trade. So we're going to talk about this for a while. This could be like for the next month or two months to talk about it because nothing has to get done <laughs> fast. But it's, it's interesting. I mean, there's a chance. There is a slight chance Deshaun Watson could be the quarterback for the Miami Dolphins. Next I, I do believe that they're saying J.J. Watt uh, wants out as well. I don't know if you've seen that, but I, I don't know. He's another guy. He's kind of aging, but I'm, I'm sure you can still get a return uh, for, for him, of course. I run sports through all these channel. Uh, let's go to college football. I run national championship. Last week when we spoke, you didn't even have tickets yet, but you, of course you figured it out the way you always do, and you got to be at a, at a great game. Wow, I, it cut it really close. I mean, I had to go with a friend, and you couldn't get singles. There was no way, yeah. and I and, a, and someone who was a friend of mine was. I heard was going. I sort of talked him into going to the game and buying his own. T- so we bought together. But it was I sat like on the twenty yard line, about eighteen rows up. I got there early as I love to come. Uh, it was uh, between mix, good mix of Ohio State and Alabama fans. About, I don't think they put fifteen thousand fans that were there, similar to the Dolphin games. But uh, it was look, it was great to get there early and watch Alabama warm up. They're so professional in their warm ups and I was taking pictures of Waddle and you could see there was a question was Jalen Waddle, the star wide receiver that broke his ankle. Is he going to play in this game? Boy, he looked ready in the warm ups. He was running and I think it inspired the team. When they saw someone like these teams, when these players like they don't want to play, they, they want to opt out, that he's guaranteed money. I saw Mahomes was, was tweeting why is he in this game? Well, Waddle wanted to play. I mean, he, he didn't have to. He, he wanted to be yeah. out there. He loved this team and you could see how it inspired the rest of the team and they were focused and I just I could sense the energy even before the game from the Alabama side that these these guys had gone this far they had climbed the mountain they had done everything this is a team that this is the process they lost I was at the Alabama LSU game last year they lost 46-41 against one of the greatest football teams of all time and I think the bar was set so high they said if we're going to win the national championship we have to pass that bar and they probably have passed that yeah. bar they beat Michigan in the Citrus Bowl when other teams said ah oh, we don't care about bowl games and, and, and Nick Saban goes this is the first game of the next year and they came into this game and it was like what we talked about like the, the the quote the second quarter being key and this was almost exactly like the LSU Clemson game because of the, this game was 7-7 after the first quarter and then it was totally blown out 35 to 14 rest of the rest of the the second in the second quarter and remember in the uh in the game last year Clemson was ahead in the second quarter 17-7 over LSU and LSU scored three straight touchdowns but that was what the key it was like at that point when Bama fumbled the ball and Ohio State scored and made it 14-14 and that was like wow there's a chance this game could be close but then Bama scored a touchdown and then Ohio State a field goal then Bama scored another touchdown Ohio State punts and then Bama scored another touchdown and it was weird when I was at the game when Justin Fields is looking up and he's he's looking in the stands he's looking at pointing with, with and I'm like that's not a focus whereas <laughs> everybody on Alabama was focused everyone you can see this entire team when the players are running in they're on the, they're, they're lined up to go in 
the key, everything they do from the play calls, Mac Jones, their quarterback, was just focused and ready and on. And I, I, I take it back to the water boys or the water women or whatever, water men or whatever you want to call the people that bring water the water. Water personnel. Water personnel. <laughs> when there is an injury or when there's a timeout they, 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 in the game, the Alabama team of water would just fly out there and the Alabama players would be drinking water. The Ohio State water personnel weren't <laughs> even get off the sidelines. Like they walked on. They, they It was like everything Alabama did was focused. They look like the NASCAR pit crew. I mean, it just shows you what Nick Saban, he loses every assistant. He loses players. He loses everything. But it's all about Nick Saban. It is just this operation. I, my joke is if he ran the convenience store down the street, it would be the best convenience <laughs> store in all of like the country. There's nothing. The car Wash whatever Nick Saban does, he's going to run by to perfection, and I think that's the attention to details. And I mean, just to watch Devontae Smith in the first half, twelve catches, two hundred fifteen yards, and he was wide open. He just, he just his first step is fast, and his second and third steps are faster. I loved watching Najee Harris run the ball. When you're there in person, he's just so smooth. He is like Le'Veon Bell dancing a little bit, but it's the dance, but he's moving forward, and I like that. And Mac Jones, 36 for 45, 464 yards, five touchdowns, and he throw, I, he's going to make it. He's going to be an NFL quarterback. He throws the ball hard. He's smart. He's limping around. He hardly could be on his one foot. He's like limping, staying out there. I mean, that's what was amazing is that they were the players were hurt. They were playing hard, just the passion, and you just didn't see that. And Ohio State could match it for a quarter, they couldn't match it for the whole game. And this is one of the greatest teams, Ohio State. They just beat Clemson. They're great. They just couldn't match it for the game. And, and Jalen Waddell, uh, four catches in the game, tremendous. I was just, it was like one of those games. I'm just so happy to be there. After seeing the LSU game, being in person for that last year was a horrendous loss for Alabama. Then to see the Michigan game. And now see, this, this is my th- third game. And it's just like the process of getting back and becoming this all-time great team. Let's go now to uh, Rodney Orr from our Tiger Insider. This is Iron Sports. We have Rodney Orr of Tider Insider on. Thanks a lot, Rodney, for coming on to talk about the Alabama Crimson Tide and the national championship. I appreciate you having me on. That's great. So you've been doing Tider Insider for 20 years. You've seen a lot of Alabama's team, and you're an expert on Nick Saban. I mean, what makes this team so much different than the other past Alabama, the other five national championships that Nick Saban has had for, with, out of, at Alabama? Well, I think the thing that makes it different is just the season itself, the circumstances, the uncertainties that surrounded this season. There were a lot of questions. Would we even have a season? And, you know, Ira, we talked around here uh, on our show. We have a statewide TV show here and also my Internet site, which has been going 25 years. And, you know, my thought all along was that it would be the teams that were managed the best, the programs that were managed the best through all of the difficulties uh, that would have the greatest opportunities to finish strong this year. And so that re- you really knew that Nick Saban would have Alabama in position again because uh, of his management skills. That's what sets him apart uh, from, from the rest is, is his ability to not only coach but to be a manager. He manages situations. He manages people better than just about anyone else. So he had this team ready. He had them focused. There was a lot of buy-in, a lot of leadership on this team. You look at the seniors offensively, the stars, Devontae Smith, Mac Jones, Najee Harris, Alex Leatherwood. You can go on and on with the leadership that they had on this team. Landon Dickerson would be another one. Uh, Jalen Waddell, obviously. Uh, So they had this great leadership. And, again, it started with Nick Saban, and it trickled down to the players. Great buy-in. 
And I think that's what makes this team special is the leadership that they had and the focus to overcome difficult and uncertain situations. And I just talked about in terms of the LSU game last year, I've been to Alabama twice, once for Penn State when Penn State had played Alabama. I've never been treated so warmly by any uh, home fans ever. I mean, I could, as my friends at Penn State joke, we no one had to buy a drink when they were down there. The Alabama fans are so gracious and kind. But when I was at the game, the LSU game last year, it seemed like that then set the bar. It was such a horrendous loss, but it just showed this Alabama team what they needed to do in order to become uh, a national champion. Yeah, I think, you know, you look back at that game and it was, there were a lot of uh, circumstances surrounding the game. Obviously, Tua had had that surgery. If you remember the, on his ankle, he was not a hundred percent. You know, LSU was a great football team. I think losing that game certainly was something that, uh, was kind of a jolt, uh, because Alabama again was hoping to come back from the year before when they lost to Clemson in such a, terrible fashion you remember 44 to 16 national championship game it was an embarrassment i think tua and all those great players that they had had kind of committed themselves and then you know tua suffered some injuries through the season and then so i i I really think this year uh kind of at the end of last year when mac jones took over uh he played really really well against auburn even though they got beat uh, and then he played well in the bowl game. All of that experience helped him heading into this year. And having players like Devontae Smith forego the NFL draft to come back, Najee Harris, same thing. Those guys really were just standout leaders, you know, for this team. And I think they were focused. This was a team that was on a mission from day one. And they never lost focus in spite of all the difficulties and circumstances that they faced. You know, the one thing that's amazing about Alabama, and and you look at other programs and players that come in that are three-star recruits and they don't play their freshman year and they transfer. Like, this is unfair. Uh, Nick Saban, Nigel Harris, Devontae Smith, and Mac Jones were all just complimentary pieces. Mac Jones even plays a freshman, and and, and Nigel Harrison, they were behind like fourth string, really, and when they were freshmen. He gets, Nick Saban somehow gets these five-star recruits to ride the, to sit on the bench to learn and to wait their turn in terms of becoming stars. Whereas other teams, they can't even keep their three-star recruits to do that. Yeah, and it's just, I think it's it's something that he, uh, we we talked about managing, managing people, and, and I think it's something that he's had to really put a lot of effort into some of these guys. I mean, it's not been an easy thing to do. Uh, you know, I'll give you Najee Harris, for example. I, I think Najee's had a lot of frustration his first couple of years. Now, he did have a big championship game against Georgia his freshman year. Had not played a lot heading into that game, but he, he led the team in rushing that game in the second half, had some big runs uh, that helped Alabama. Um you know, uh, and, and obviously, Devontae Smith didn't play a ton his freshman year, played some, had the winning touchdown catch against Mississippi State that year, late in the year, and then he had the, the monumental catch against Georgia in the championship game. But again, you're right, he didn't have an, a lot of playing time. And then Mac Jones is a story of all stories. He sat behind Tua, uh, came in when Tua, Jalen Hurts had just completed his freshman year, and Tua was, uh, was signed with the same class. And Mac just waited his turn. He could have bolted. He could have gone somewhere else. But he sat here. He, he, he developed. And when his opportunity came, I mean, he flourished. 
And then the one thing about Nick Saban is what's so impressive is that he's changed. I mean, four or five years ago, or the national championships ago, how you want to say it, he'd be happy to win a game 9-6, And now it's the most explosive offense in the history of college football. How many coaches can you see can, can change like that just on a dime in terms of and still be the elite? Not many. Not many. It's a good point. You know, he was a defensive coach. They believed in playing physical on, on the running game and, and, you know, winning in that way. You know, and think about this. In his first championship at Alabama uh, the, the, in 2000, the 2009 season when they beat Texas in the Rose Bowl, Greg McElroy passed for 58 yards. <laughs> think about that. 58 yards. Now here we are, uh, you know, 11 years later, uh, 11 seasons later, and uh, Mac Jones set the, the college football national championship uh, record with the 464 yards in the game. So you're right. He did change. And what, what happened, though, Ira, as you know, the game changed. And, you know, the rules changed. And it, linemen could do different things. Uh, the run-pass options, all of those things, the RPOs, all of those things started becoming more significant in college football and changing the game. And Nick Saban just basically said, look, if I'm going to con- compete, uh, if I'm going to try to stay on top, I'm going to have to change. So what did he do? He brought in Lane Kiffin, if you remember. And Lane came in here in 2014 and stayed here for three years, won a national championship, got, helped Alabama get back to another championship game. Um, and then, you know, from there it's been – you know, that's what they've done. They've just built on what they do offensively and, you know, recruited the players. You started getting quarterbacks, Tua, you know, Mac Jones uh, now, and then they've got a five-star now waiting in the wings from California, Bryce Young. So uh, they have totally transformed. Wow. And we've been talking to Rodney Orr of TiderInsider.com. Go on to its great website, everything about the Crimson Tide. But, I mean, here's a team that's going to lose, like, everybody on offense and defense, it seems. I think, like, 14, all the assistants have left. I mean, what does it look like next year for Alabama? I mean, people are, it's just, is it a reload-type situation? And is this a team that, that you're looking forward to, to competing for the national championship next year? Well, you know, the thing is, is that they lost four first-round draft picks last year on offense. Think about that. They lost two receivers, uh, Jerry, Judy, and Henry Ruggs. They lost Tua, who was the number five pick overall. They lost Jedrick Wills, who was a what, top ten pick as an offensive lineman. Four first-team All-American type players, uh, first-round draft picks. And, and guess what? They had the greatest offense they've ever had this year. Think about that. And guess what? That was also with the guy that more, most people think was the most explosive receiver in the country, Jalen Waddell, going down halfway through the year against Tennessee and did not come back until that championship game. You saw him out there. Think about that. Um, you know, so as far as next year, again, uh, a lot of talent up front on the offensive line. Uh, Bryce Young is a very talented young quarterback uh, that – you know, obviously doesn't have a lot of experience, but he's very talented nonetheless. A lot of people thought he might beat Mac out this year. It didn't happen, obviously. And then at running back, you lose Najee Harris, but you've got a, when I tell you they've got a room full of outstanding, talented players, uh, they do. They've got about four or five that are high-quality running backs. Uh, now, the question is going to be at wide receiver because you lose Devontae Smith, you lose Jalen Waddell, uh, they've got some players. John Mechie had a big year. Uh, he'll be one of the uh, big uh, 
returnees next year at receiver, Slade Bolden. Uh, they've got some a couple of other young players. But guess what, uh, Ira? They've gone into Florida and signed three of the top <laughs> ten players in, the, in, in as wide receivers in the country, Ja'Cory Brooks, Ajay Hall, and Christian Leary, three great great receiver prospects, and they got one of the best out of Texas, who's a Jalen Waddle type named JoJo Earl. So a couple of those freshmen could come in and compete early. Defensively, they got a ton of guys coming back. Should be better on defense next year. Well, Rodney, thanks a lot for your passion, your enthusiasm, and congratulations on your national championship, and I guess six now under Nick Saban. So I really appreciate it. Everybody who wants to go and read about Alabama, go to tighterinsider.com um, and go on and check that site out. It's a great site for everything about Alabama football. So, Rodney, thanks again for coming on Iron Sports. Great stuff there from Rodney or Tider Insider here on Ira on Sports. So, Ira, one of the biggest trades in the history of the NBA went down the other day, and... We don't have enough time to talk about it, but we're going to go in depth on the Harden trade next week and also look at what this means for this team, the Eastern Conference, and the NBA in general. I will catch up on that next week. In UFC, we got some big news with Conor McDavid and uh, Conor McGregor and uh, Dustin Poirier. Yeah, they're going to fight this uh, weekend, Saturday night. It'll be Conor hasn't fought in a year, so this is a chance to see Conor back. It's going to be one of the main events for UFC this year. Uh, golf is underway, and two Iron Sports alumni playing pretty well. Well, the uh, Sony Open was in Hawaii, and Keith Mitchell, who we had on the show, shot a 62 and a 63. He finished at 14th place, uh, 14, 14 under. Kevin Na won the tournament, but also Jim Herman had an early lead, a first round lead at a 64. So two guests we've had on the show. It's interesting. When, boy, it's amazing that when you see the scores go low when you shoot a 62 and a 63 and you just finish in 14th place. No, absolutely. Um, and then finally in tennis, you got to spend two days at the uh, Delray Beach um, Invitational, Delray Beach Open, and it ended up being a great tournament. We caught up with the winner, Hubert Horcats. We'll talk to him in a second, but tell us about the tournament. The tournament was great. I got a chance to see uh, uh, Riley Opeka last year won it, a young American, Francois TFO, who we had on the show, also won it two years ago. So it was interesting to see this Sebastian Corda, who's 20 years old. His father was a professional tennis player. I got a chance to see him play with his second in his semifinal match, and then it, and I saw him in the finals against Hubert Horkash, who's this great young Polish player who has beat Theme uh, this past year two and zero, and also Nishikora two and zero. So this tournament's good for some for watching some great young Americans come up, and and also Horkash, who could maybe be you know one of those people that steps in from the Djokovic Nadal Federer when they finally retire a hundred years from now. When Tom Brady <laughs> retires, they'll retire too. <laughs> Let's jump into that uh, interview with Hubert Horkash right now on Iron Sports. This is Iron Sports. Uh, we're talking to Hubert Herkash, who just won the Delray Beach Open. Thank you. Well, congratulations on your great win at the Delray Beach Open today, beating Sebastian Corda 6-3, six, 6-2. Uh, six, uh, you're down 3-1 in the, the first, and then you made you had just your serve broken, but were able to come back and win five straight games that first set. Yeah, I mean, that was really crucial, the, the, the first set. I mean, he started off really well. I knew that so to stay in the first set to, to play well and continue to fight and uh, yeah that uh, that uh, helped me a lot and uh, I think I, I played uh, better towards the end of the first set and uh, I continued to, to, to play good throughout the, the rest of the match um, So when you were down 3-1 did you was it just it was, the weather was a little cold today I mean was it just time to get warmed up or did you make any adjustments to get ready for the match to get yourself back in the match yeah, I think I. Uh, I mean, he started off a really amazing game, and uh, I knew I need to put a little bit more pressure on him when he when he was playing from the baseline, and I was trying to do that. And uh, yeah, so that was that was the adjustment that I made. 
And so how, I mean, you must like playing in, well, first of all, you played in the West Palm Beach during the COVID, during one of those little tournaments, and now at the Delray Beach Open. And it was great that they were able to get this tournament off and, uh, and, and going, even with the COVID protocols. Yes, I mean, so happy that uh, we were able to, to compete here. I mean, it was nice that the crowd was also here. So that's, that's, a, that's a really amazing job that the tournament did. I mean, there's things a little bit differently. There's no lines people, so they're all call, called automatically. I saw where they actually made a mistake. It was a little weird not to see linesmen making calls. Yeah, so that was, that was strange. Never, never seen it before. I mean, the... The ball was like in the like almost in the middle of the service box, and uh, and then uh, and then yeah, obviously I, yeah, I said the and the umpire saw that the ball was good, so we played the point. Yeah, I mean, I noticed when I mean, you've you've one of the best serves in the game, but it looks like your return game and your all over game in terms of get the net and everything has really improved over the last year and getting ready. Now you're going to be, I think, in the top twenty nine in the world, so you'll be seated the Australian Open. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, we worked a lot at the CB with, uh, on my serve and, uh, and on other stuff. So, uh, so I mean, it was uh, good that, that we improved a couple of things and my game is uh, heading the right direction. I know. I mean, you've really had success against some major players. You beat Dominic Thiem twice. He's your, your record against Thiem is 2-0, and Nishikora 2-0. and um, So I think you're really primed to, to, to make a run in the Grand Slam. You're, you're going to at the Australian Open in a couple weeks. Yeah, so uh, that's, uh, I mean, uh, uh, playing against uh, the top guys, I think, uh, Brings, I think, a little more, more, more extra in me. So, like, I love to play against and compete against those guys. And uh, yeah, hopefully, in the future, I'll be able to 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 play on a higher level and and uh, be there myself. We're talking to Hubert Hercash, who just won the Delray Beach Tennis Open. Uh, you're going now to fly on a plane all the way to Australia to compete in the Australian Open. So it must feel good to get this win now playing on a tournament where nobody else really has been playing. So you're going to go to Australia and be ready for the for the Australian Open on, on this uh, after this win. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's really great that I was able to, to play here and, and uh, get some matches. And that's always important in the beginning of the season that, that you're going to play a couple of matches, uh, get uh, adapted to, to competing again. So that was, that was really huge for me. That's great. I saw where now you grew up in Poland and your family all played sports. And it said that you decided to play tennis over auto racing and basketball. So I, I think you made the right choice with that. Yeah, I think so. I mean, uh, I'm just playing basketball, and uh, yeah, but I'm, I mean, I'm happy in the the place where I am now, right now. I didn't know if you noticed during the match, maybe you might have heard some cell phones go off because the one of the biggest trades in NBA history went down when you were playing. Um, James Harden was traded to the Brooklyn Nets uh, right in, I think it was in the middle of the uh, second set. And I must have got 50 tweets about that. So, uh, you know, I'll always remember wow. when I hear James Harden's trade. Hmm. <laughs> yes, that's fine. That's funny. And and you train uh, at Saddlebrook Academy. It's a uh, north of Tampa, so you're you're down here in Florida a lot, used to the Florida weather. Yeah, I spent a lot of time, especially last year. I was there like over four months, maybe five months, even five months. So, I mean, I used to practicing in the warm weather. So I'm mean, glad. Uh, that um, <laughs> I mean, it's always nice to, to be prepared for for hot uh, environment and, and be ready for it physically. So 
You've now won now Winston-Salem. You've won this tournament. You're ready to step. You played well against the themes and the and, and beat them. And Nishikora's, what can you do? Ranked 29th in the world. What can you do to step in to become a top 10 player? What are the steps that you have to do to, to make take that next leap from being, you know, again, it's amazing you're 29th in the world, but to get in that top 10 uh, with the, the Federers and the Nadals and Djokovic and those things. Yeah, for sure. I need to, to work on my consistency to, to deliver my best level throughout uh, longer periods of time and, and uh, don't have any, any, any downs, uh, downs on the match. So that, that would be really crucial and improve a couple of things. And, and if, if I do that, then yeah, hopefully I'll be there. Mm-hmm. And then once again, I mean, as I said, we're based in West Palm Beach and we cover the uh, Delray Beach Open. Uh, you mentioned earlier about the crowds. It is pretty great to see uh, the enthusiasm of the fans on a, in the you know, have a final in the middle on a Wednesday. Uh, but just it seems great to have the, you know, the fans come out for an event like this. And I mean, every year it's been great. But even this year with all the problems, it was, it was great to see all the fans. Yeah, it was, it was really amazing the, the job that they did here. Uh, to, to prepare this event and, and hold it here and uh, with the fans that was that was nice okay well thank you a lot Hubert for coming on on Iron Sports and, and and have a safe flight to Australia and, and good thank luck you. at the at the Australian Open I, I I wish you the best of luck thank you so much. Great stuff there from Hubert here on Ira on Sports. So, Ira, uh, what's the plan for this week? I have a feeling it's going to be a little slower than last week. <laughs> a little slow in terms of going, but I got Saturday night the UFC fight and then Sunday two major football games to watch. So, I'm excited about that. We are out of time on behalf of Ira. I'm Mike. Let's talk next Monday night. Ira on Sports.